Good morning. Welcome to Summer at Sunrise. Hey, I'm Byron. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Just a reminder that everything I'm going to tell you right now is available through Facebook. You can get on the church website, get on the Facebook page, and uh, all these announcements are right there. Next Sunday morning, we're going to be down the street in Hager Park. So, same time, 9 a.m., south end of the park, bring lawn chairs, and then you can bring a picnic lunch and uh, hang around, have a good time. It's a park. Do fun stuff. I'm glad you're here. Let's have a great morning. Surely in this place, and we won't be quiet. Cause we 
shout out your grace. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your grace. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your grace. Shout out your praise. There is joy in this house. There is joy in this house today. We shout out your praise. We shout out your promises time and time again you have proven you'll do just what you say though the storms may come and the winds may blow I'll remain steadfast and in my heart learn when you speak a word it will come to pass is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting, same I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness. through the ages you remain the same God from age to age though the earth may pass away your word remains the same history can prove there's nothing you can do you're faithful and true Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And the heart learn when you speak a word, it'll come to pass. Oh, great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness.
victory the king of love had given up his life the darkest day in history there on a cross they made for sinners for every curse his blood atoned One final breath and it was finished But not the end we could have known For the earth began to shake And the veil was torn What sacrifice was made As the heavens rose 
There was a moment when the sky lit up A flash of light breaking through When all was lost, he crossed eternity The King of life was on the move For in a dark old
praise to you this morning. Just the words that we heard this morning in the, from the Psalms that we sing shouts of praise. We lift our joy, our songs to you this morning, God. We're so blessed and glad to be able to sing your praise together, join together in one song. So God, we bless you today. We bless you this morning. To give these songs, these melodies as an offering to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> that was pretty good. You guys are better than last week's group of people. Way to go. <clears throat> My name is Dan Fisher, and we are glad that you're here this morning. Whether you're here for the first time or you've been here for a while, it does our hearts good to see your kids running and jumping and playing on these beanbags. Your kids, uh, as you step in here into this community, are an important part of who we are. Uh, they are not a hurdle to who we are. And so we want to do different things like set up a space like this that are good for kids to hang out in. We also do some things uh, that help us step into the long history of the Christian church, uh, dating back prior to even Jesus being on this earth, where those who followed God together when there was a new baby given to a community would come together in the presence of God and each other and the new family and celebrate a new child as an important part of the community in such a way that the child would be brought, placed in front of the community where everyone could say together, this child is a gift from God and we want to do everything we can to invest our lives in the life of this child so that they may someday come to know and love this God who we worship together. We do that today at Sunrise Ministries, and we call it child baptism, child dedication. Uh, this morning, we have the Browers who are here. 
Deidre and Brandon Brower have with them their son, Atticus Lincoln. I'm going to have you guys go ahead and come on up. I'll show you guys a picture of Atticus as they come on up. He's a sharp kid, isn't he? Man, he's a good-looking kid. And Olin is coming up too, it looks like. We're going to try. Okay. Remember, kids are an important part of our community. Uh, There's a verse here that Brandon and Deidre have picked for Atticus Lincoln Brown that becomes somewhat of a prayer over his life from them. The verse reads in this way, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through rough waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. These are fantastic words. Uh, Words that do not just extend to the adults in the community as God shares these words, but also to the children. And so we are excited about this morning. Good morning, Olin. Good morning. That's okay. That's okay. Um, So I'm going to ask you as Atticus's parents couple questions. You guys can respond with, I do, or we do, however you want to. Then what we'll do is we'll address partners here at Sunrise Ministries and the family of this family uh, to ask some similar questions as well so that we walk well with this family. So Brandon and Deidre, do you acknowledge that Atticus as well as Olin are a gift from God? We do. Will you do everything you can though you and we know that you are not perfect, to raise Atticus in a way that he might come to know and love God as you do. Okay. All right. Partners of Sunrise Ministries, those those of you who call this place home, you plan on being here for a while, and the family of the Browers, would you stand up and join this family? All of these people here, Atticus, you have no idea at this moment, love you. And we're here to stand not just with you, but with your parents and your brother, so that you would know that you are loved and that you're special. So, Sunrise Ministries, the spiritual family who is here, the Browers and so on, the extended family of this family who are up here, I want to ask you a couple of questions as well. Do you acknowledge that Atticus is a gift from God to this family? If so, say we do. Do you, as followers of Jesus, though you are not perfect, commit to doing the best you can to offer helping hands, listening ears, and encouraging words so that this family would know that they are not alone, number one, and number two, so that Atticus would come to know and love the Jesus who we strive to follow well? If so, say we do. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, we come to you this morning (laughs) recognizing that you are the author of life and that you call all of us important and you call all of us to come to know and love you well. God, I pray that for the Browers, uh, for their entire family, that through the moments of raising children when there are exciting highs and discouraging lows and the mundane spaces between, that your presence would be known, would be felt, and would be celebrated, not just in this family, but in this larger community. God, we thank you for the gift of Atticus's life. We 
celebrate the fact that you gave your son before he even knows it to love him. Bless this family in Christ's name. Amen. There's a gift for you guys. You're welcome. Let's celebrate this new life and this family. So this morning, we are in the book of Acts. We are continuing our journey through this book. We've not taken a stop at every chapter along the way, but we've been looking at the book of Acts to help us see how does a church, a group of people who are following Jesus, step into a new season of ministry well. The new season of ministry for the people who lived during the time of the Acts book, this letter that Luke wrote, were a group of people who felt abandoned by God and yet at the very same time empowered by God. This was the point not long after Jesus had been crucified, buried, and then resurrected, which brought great joy to the followers of God who followed Jesus as well. But then just a few days later, Jesus says, look, all of the authority, all of the work that I was doing here, that's on you now, and I'm going to be with you. And then he ascends to heaven. And so there's this sense of what in the world is happening? We've done ministry in this way for so long, and now we have to do it in a completely new way. And what Acts does is it helps us see how that ministry is done well. And so we've looked at all kinds of ways that we as the church of God today can continue to walk well through a ministry that is existent now many years after this story here in the book of Acts. But we find here some things that are very helpful for us. So this morning, we'll be looking at Acts 17. And in this story, we have Paul. And if you are new to the book of Acts, Paul is kind of a big deal. He's also a big deal for the whole New Testament. He was a a guy who was part of a a Jewish community, but he was a, a radical Jewish person. To the point where people who did not decide to follow the Jewish God became targets of his, and he would imprison them, he would actually kill them. It was at the hands of Paul that we have the first New Testament martyr, Stephen. Stephen was an earlier follower of Jesus who simply because of his faith in Jesus was targeted by radicals and killed. Then Paul becomes this super pivotal leader in the church, not just in the book of Acts, but he writes the majority of the New Testament. And so much of what we hold in our hands today when we hold what we call the Bible is a collection of uh, all kinds of different letters is written by someone whose life was dramatically transformed by the stories that we interact with as we read Scripture. And so in Acts chapter 17, we find this man named Paul whose life has been wrecked and put back together by Christ. And we find him doing some interesting things that might help us live well as people whose lives have also been wrecked and put together by Christ's work in our lives. So, Father, we come to you this morning as people who feel, on the one hand, our lives being wrecked. (laughs) We've done some things to, to make things not go smoothly. There are areas in our lives where we are still trying to figure out how to follow you well. There are also areas of our lives where we feel like we have been put back together. We've seen your faithfulness. We've seen your presence in our lives, whether it's the gift of holding a brand new child or of seeing relationships put back together or having a confidence in a world that feels like it's upside down that points us back to you. And so, God, we come to you today at this, looking at this letter. 
that was written to help us understand you with open hands. And we ask that through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the love and sacrifice of your Son, that we might see clearly who you've called us to be so that we can follow you as our Creator well. In Christ's name, amen. So if you go to Athens today, you're going to find all kinds of these things. Actually, I don't know how many of them you will find, but there was a time when Paul walked through Athens that he found a whole bunch of these things. Um, Those are not rocks that just kind of waved up onto the shore. This is a, obviously, something that was created by hand. It was a, 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 the remnant of the indication of people who went into a quarry and pulled out from it rocks that they would carve, literally, into a shape like this, and they would carve words into them. A lot of people at that time didn't really understand why these things existed, but they were kind of everywhere. There wasn't really a specific way that they were set up, so let me... Uh, kind of throw it into today's world. Um, in a city like Indianapolis, the city is put together on a really nice grid, right? Chicago, the same kind of way up in the north, that's how cities are put together. You go out to New England, Boston, Massachusetts, and the roads there just kind of go everywhere. You guys try to drive around there? Okay, I'm the only one. Some of you have. Some of you have been out east. Yeah. <clears throat> But these roads are not grids. They're kind of winding and meandering, and you don't really know how to get places, but you do. It was weird, because when we lived there, you could take, uh, as you got to one intersection, you could take any of the three different routes to get to where we lived. It didn't really matter which way you went. Somehow, it just made sense. It's kind of the way that these things were sprawled out all over Athens. There really didn't seem to be a rhyme or reason for it. But for the people who had walked in the story of why these things were there, it made complete sense. But as stories go, you guys know that as we get older, kids don't hang on to the stories. There's some confusion about what's happened to get us to the point where we are, whether it's the way a city or a family is set up or why we make certain decisions. And Paul sees these kinds of things, these stones, and as he is in Athens... He wants to talk to people there, not just about these stones, why they are there, but he also wants to expand the vision of the people who lived there so that they could in some way see these stones as a gateway into a reality, a spiritual reality that Paul had become aware of. Now, in order to understand these stones, we have to go way back to, excuse me, 600 BC, I believe it is. Uh, when these are the words that were written to tell us about these particular stones. And so what we find here is these words. If I can pull them up here. Hence, when the Athenians, this is the people of Athens, Athens is in Greece still today, they were attacked by pestilence, and the Pythian priestess bade them purify the city. They sent a ship commanded by Nicias, son of Nicaretus, to Crete to ask the help of Epimenides. And he came in the 46th Olympiad. So basically, there's something really big going on in Athens. Something like a COVID-19 has begun to sweep over the land, and Athens and its citizens have lost control of the situation. So they send for help. They've got to cleanse the city. And this Epimenides comes to the 46th Olympiad. And what's he do? He purified their city. 
He stopped the pestilence. He put COVID-19 or whatever it was at bay in the following way. Here's what he did. He took sheep, some black and others white, and he brought them to the Areopagus. And there he left them go wherever they pleased, instructing those who followed them to mark the spot where each sheep laid down and offer a sacrifice to the local divinity. And thus it is said, the plague was stayed, it was stopped. Hence, even to this day, altars may be found in different parts of Athens with no name inscribed upon them, which are memorials of this atonement. And so, this is why these altars, we now know them to be, exist. Because many, many years ago, this is even many, many years ago from the perspective of Paul, there was something that swept over the land that caused the chaos that no human could control. Now, what they did is they tried to find a superhuman who could come and help them rid the land of COVID-19, whatever it was. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a really long drought of their version of the Chicago Cubs not winning the World Series. Maybe that was the pestilence. But the point is, this guy came in and he said, look, here's, here's how we're going to fix the land. We're going to get all these sheep together, and you guys all come with me. We're going to get together, and we're just going to let these sheep go. And all you've got to do is follow them around, and wherever they lay down, put one of these stones that was up there, not there now, and make a sacrifice there at that altar to some god out there, and that will cleanse the land. And so that's what these people did. They got together, and they followed sheep around. Oh, you fell asleep here. Let's make an altar. And the result of that was that this pestilence in the land went away. And so this is a story that had been embedded deeply into the hearts and the minds of all of the Athenians who were there or had good family members who were there who shared the story with their children and their grandchildren. And it is into this context that Paul walks in. So, there's another place there. This is the Areopagus. It's a really big stone. You can see the people standing up on top of it uh, to kind of show you the magnitude of this rock. This rock, the Areopagus, is super important in Athens. Number one, it's high enough that when you're standing up there, you can see Athens quite well. If you're going to go to a place where you think that the gods who are overseeing the land will be you're going to find the highest point that you can, this rock right here. And so the people of Athens, as they looked up to the Areopagus, were looking to the place where if you wanted to connect with God best, you should go. Now, Athens is kind of an interesting place because there are all kinds of gods. It's been said of Athens that there are more gods there than there are humans. So there are all kinds of gods, but if you want to make the best bet that you can as you're crying out to something in the universe to make the world right, this is probably the best place to go, according to the Athens. So in this context, we come to Acts chapter 17. We've got kind of the land understanding of what's going on. We have a sense of the religious and cultural world at that time. We see some of the things that Paul himself saw. And this is what Luke writes to friends of God. He says this, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Full of idols because, again, there are more gods in Athens than there are people. It's an overwhelming place. Like more slot machines in Las Vegas than there are people. 
I don't even know if that's how that works. Or is it like this? Some of you have been there, you know. Is it like this or like this? What's it? Push a button? Okay, I will not reveal to all of you who just said that who could confirm it, but... <laughs> so he's waiting for them in Athens. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols, so he reasoned in the synagogue. He found a local community of people who were Jewish. He went there and he started to talk with them about what was going on. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. Remember, in the last time we were together, they were welcomed into the synagogue as long as they didn't sleep around and they continued to believe that Jesus was Messiah and they wouldn't eat meat sacrificed to idols. So you have a hodgepodge of a community of people who have just recently been pushed together by the grace of God. And he says to them, as, uh, to these folks, these things that are coming up. So he's, he's preaching to the Jews, the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happen to be there. The picture of who's there expands a little bit more. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. All kinds of people with all different kinds of worldviews are here in Athens. It's not like having a conversation with a group of people in Hudsonville, Jenison. There's a pretty good small sense, if you will, small uh, funnel of the thinking that will exist here. But if you were go to go to a place like Chicago or New York City and gather a group of people there, you would have a huge difference of opinion of what the world looked like. A strong sense in many different people's minds of a peculiar thing, power, way of life that makes sense of the world. It's in this kind of context that Paul begins to be debated with. So they took him, Paul, and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, this stone place, these people who wanted to find God of heaven who could somehow make the world right. And they said to him there, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. These are cordial people. You're bringing some strange thoughts to us. We haven't heard them before. Would you tell us more? Let's go to this rock where we think that we have the greatest access to the gods of heaven and would you explain to us this God of heaven that you're talking to us about. This is a completely new thing for us. So all this, parenthetically, Luke tells us that all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Sounds a lot like Hudsonville Grill or the wooden shoe in Holland. <laughs> People getting together, shooting the breeze, trying to piece together the parts of life that don't seem to make sense that they're constructed in a way that they begin to make sense for us and give us hope. Help us see the world moving forwards in some way, even though we can't contribute to it. We do this all the time, right? I mean, we have conversations around our dinner tables. We have conversations at Hudsonville Grill, or we have conversations at the fair. We talk in the lobby of the church or wherever it is, maybe even at a bar for some of you great people. I was going to say sinners, but I'm not in a Baptist church, so you're not sinners. <laughs> Where we talk about these kinds of things. The stories that we have in our families. The stories that help us cling to those dark moments where we lost someone, either through death or relational hardship. We tell these stories to ourselves about how our families came from Europe to America, or how our families moved from Montana to southwest Michigan, or whatever it is, and we put these stories together in a way 
that help us have this sense of who the God of heaven is, or at least what has provided the sense of control and security for our families so that we could get to where we are now. This is the same kind of things that's happening in Athens. Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and he said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. You're looking to the heavens, you're trying to figure things out, you recognize that there's something more in this world than what you can just see and touch. For as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar. I found one of these altars that was just out there somewhere with this inscription, to an unknown God. If you zoom in on this picture here at the very top, I don't know if you can see it from where you're seated, uh, there are words carved into that stone. And really smart people who can translate that stuff actually have on the bottom left corner of this uh, monument that's in a museum, the translation of those words, which say, an altar to an unknown God. This is a story that is embedded in history that has left behind for us stones that we can look out now and say to ourselves, huh, we're not alone. We're not the only people in life who have found things that have happened to us or to the people we know and love or that have affected the whole world like COVID-19 and we try to make sense of it, but it seems as though we don't have all of the answers. And it is to this kind of a stone, this kind of a reminder that we are but humans who need help that Paul points. He uses this as a a teaching opportunity. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. This is a big deal. I mean, if uh, if we're talking sports here, okay, if you go to Jenison, what's your mascot, Jenison High School? Wildcats, one of you know this. This is wonderful. Hudsonville, who's your mascot? Eagles, all right. Um, If we're going to talk about how things should work, in Jenison High School, if you want to support what's going on in Jenison High School, are you going to walk in with an Eagles shirt on, Hudsonville Eagles shirt? No. (laughs) Correct. If you go into Hudsonville, are you going to wear a Jenison Wildcats shirt in order to make the best impression that you can on the people who are there? No, okay, thank you, good. This same kind of thing is what's happening in this story. Today, we have schools, we have buildings with fields, we have a, a campus where in that land, there is one mascot. It is either the eagle or it is the wildcat, depending on locations. And when those two teams come together, whether it's in a chess match or wrestling or debate or whatever it is, What's that? Soccer, yes. Volleyball, you name it. One of them is going to come away the victor, right? Either that wildcat or that eagle is stronger. You with me? Okay. Same kind of thing here. All of the Athenians who live in this area and their traditions, their histories, their spiritual views have taught them that there are gods of campuses, gods of countries. For Athens, there's at least one, but for them actually lots of gods who had control over the city of Athens. 
For the Jews, they had a particular story that was unique to them where Moses said, the God of the Jews is not bound to a territory, but instead he is the God of the whole world. And This is what Paul is continuing to share to the people of Athens, which for them would have just sounded bananas. The, the God of this world who is strongest, who can make the world right, is the God of the world. He extends beyond this campus of Athens. There is a God out there who is much bigger than you can even imagine, and in your case, Athenians, you simply call him the unknown God. I'm going to tell you who that God is. Pause button for a minute. Are there moments in your life, you can answer this in the privacy of your own mind, the moments in your life where things have happened and you haven't been able to figure out why. And I'm not talking about, man, I got a parking spot really close to the grocery store. But I mean those stories that you can share of how you had a niece or a nephew who seemed as though they would not be born in a typical kind of way. You prayed for them. You prayed for their parents. And somehow this child came out typical. Or a child came out atypically. But the child was alive. Or the child was not born typically or atypically, but was born without a heartbeat. All of us in those kinds of moments of life tell ourselves stories, right? We try to poke and prod the heavens and our own minds trying to figure out why did this happen? We're just like the Athenians. And in the moments where we think about something like COVID and we can't figure out what exactly is going to take control of it, we recognize that the medicine of America, the scientists of any other country by themselves are not enough and even together are not enough to fix the problem. And it's then we recognize very clearly that there is this unknown God, this God who is so much different than us, who has to be out there somewhere in order to make sense, in order to bring a proper resolution to the things that we experience in life, both positive and negative. Paul says, let's talk about that. Let's talk about those spaces in your life where you just can't seem to make sense of things, and it seems like someone has shown up to piece things together well. Who is that God for you? I think that question extends even to us today. Is it the God of medicine? Is it the, the God of, man, I went to church and I did everything I was supposed to and I got this degree, so it's a God of achievement, if you will. Who is this God for you? Paul says, let me introduce him to you. It's the God who made the world and everything in it. He's not served by anything that you do. There is nothing that you can do to make God more comfortable. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make him love you less. There is nothing you can do to push him toward the world more because there's nothing you can do to serve him. There is a God out there who doesn't need anything. And from one man, he made all the nations. This is a and echo back to the story of creation. For one man, 
from one man he made all the nations so that they would inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Now, he did this, of course, to limit us, right, so that we couldn't live lives well, to point out to us that you're human and you can't have things figured out. You have to just trust me. No. <laughs> Luke pulls back the curtain a little bit, and he says that God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. We all live stories that at some point don't lead us on a path that help us find exactly the answers, the sequence of events, the reasons why we've landed where we have right now. And Paul says, Luke confirms as he writes what happened down, that those paths in life that don't seem to go anywhere are such so that we would be a people who would respond to those things in a way where we say, there's a God in heaven, and I want to reach out and find him. He's not far from any one of us. And then <laughs> Paul takes a quote from this guy who said, hey, Athens, in order to solve the problem years ago, the whole pestilence thing, he steals a quote from him and says these words, for in him, this unknown God, we live and we move and we have our being. As some of you and your own poets have said, we are his offspring. <laughs> These are the words that Paul gives to a group of people who are trying to figure out life, who are experiencing positives and negatives, who are both feeling wrecked because they don't have things figured out and pieced together because they have some sense of hope, they have some sense of an anchoring in this God. And what Paul is doing here is he is saying, look, the God of heaven, number one, is a God for all of us. Remember, Paul is talking to Epicureans. He's talking to Stoics. He's talking to people who are following more gods than there are people in their community. And he says, look, the God of heaven is someone who is available to all of you. Somehow he is working in your lives in such a way that his hope and his aim is that you would raise your eyes up beyond the medicine, beyond the science, beyond the masks, beyond the political parties, beyond your own preferences, and you would see that there is a God in heaven who is not impacted by the things of this world in such a way that he changes who he is. And he comes close to you. He's closer to you than you know. And he's walking with you through the streets of distraction, slot machines everywhere, refinance your home over here, get your internet with us. If you just get into this school, then you'll do well. Those are the kinds of idols, if you will, that can scream out to us and say, if you can control these bits and pieces of your life, then your world will be made right again. And it is the God of heaven who walks with us instead and says, those different things, and you can name them, you can think about them right now in your own mind, those different things that have been put out in the world to point you toward what's actually going to make your life good, and prosperous, and healthy, and helpful, those don't tell the whole story. 
So I don't know what those altars are for you. If it's the altar of sacrificing who I am and what I actually think and believe so that as I burn all of those things, I can fit into the culture that I am in and that in itself will help me live the right life. Maybe it's the altar of I will work overtime, I will not go on vacation, I will make this much money so that when I am this age, my life will be put back together. Maybe it's if I lose enough weight or my body looks just right and my BMI is here, then my life will be okay. Maybe it's I'm going to get into this school because if I can get into that school, then I'll please the people around me and my life will go in the direction that it needs to go. And we all do this, right? We all identify the different altars that are out there that tell us, here are the steps that will get you to where you need to go. The question that Paul asks the people of Athens, that he's surfacing in their minds, are the same questions that I think Luke is trying to surface in our minds. Do you know that there is one God of heaven who you can't make more proud? who you can't disappoint, who you can't, you don't need to get his attention to see you because he already does. Do you know that he walks with you? Do you know that he loves you? And that the aim of his relationship with you is not to subjugate you, but to get you to open your eyes and see that he loves you and he is sustaining you. So God, we come to you this morning as a people whose stories uh, are intertwined, are sprinkled with moments of great joy and of great sorrow. We have tried to follow so many different kinds of gods, we don't call them that, but ways of life or objectives or goals, and we found ourselves to, in many of those cases, fall flat on our face. We recognize that really there's not going to be enough money that's going to help us live the life that we want to live. We recognize that really more time invested in a particular activity, CrossFit or whatever it is, it's an insatiable path. That working to look a particular way or to keep up a facade of who we are, that those things are just draining. And so, God, we come to you just like the Athenians came to Paul, the Epicureans, the Stoics came to Paul, And we ask you, would you make yourself known to us? Would you remind us that you are the sure and steady one who is large enough to not just bear the weight of our needs, but your creative hands are large enough to stitch together all of the souls in this room. That you're the one who gave the gift of laughter to these children. You're the one who is hovering above all of COVID-19, all of the political turmoil, all of the division that's in our country. In a way that we can trust your judgment and your view on things. And yet at the very same time, you are close enough to know the thoughts, the emotions, the fears, the hopes, the joys that are in our hearts right now. 
God, I don't know how exactly to explain that, how to <laughs> make sense of that, that you are both far away so that you have a perspective that is objective, but you're also so close that if we were to find the space between you and us, <laughs> we'd be lucky people. So God, I pray that regardless of the stories that we have lived, the paths that we have walked, the perspectives that we have had, through the story of your nearness that Paul gives a small glimpse of, we would walk away today as a people who can celebrate that you're much bigger than we can imagine and that you're far closer than we could hope. That's our prayer for Atticus, right? Our prayer for Atticus and for his family would be that they would know, that Atticus would know, that God is solid and steady. He's not affected by the things in this world. But that he's also very close in such a way that there's no place Atticus could go. There's no place you could could go to run away from God's love. God, we confess these things because we believe that they're true through the power of your Son, through the work of your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. At the end of every service, we do some things that hopefully are reminding us as we go of God's presence of our own identity that invite us into a response that could extend beyond the closing of a service time here but go with us into the world that we inhabit. Some of the ways that people decide as they go that they want to respond to who God is and what he is doing is to sacrifice something to give financially so that they can be reminded again, we can be reminded again that there is a God who is in control and we don't have to cling to the altars of life. Some of those things being money. So there's a very tangible way you can do that. There's a bucket back there. There's a QR code you can scan to do that. There are other people who simply just need the space where they can quietly or with someone who they trust can just come apart a little bit and say, these are the difficult things. Would you remind me again of the story of God in my life? Then there are times where people just need to stand up and sing and celebrate this good God who's bigger than anything we can imagine, who's closer than we could ever think, who's loving us in a way that no other imagined God or person or government or family member ever could. So join us in responding to who God is as we sing. God of creation, there at the start, before the beginning of time. With no point of reference, he spoke to the dark and fleshed out the wonder of light. 
chased down my heart through all of my failure and pride. On a hill you created the light of the world abandoned in darkness to die. And as you speak, a hundred billion failures disappear. When you lost your life so I could find it here. If you left the grave behind you, so will I. Everything you've done, every part designed in a work of art, call up. If you gladly chose surrender, so will I. I can see your heart in a billion different ways. Every precious one. A child who died to save. If you gave your life to love them, so will I. And you would again a hundred billion times. But what measure could amount to your desire? You're the one who never leaves the one behind. God has called our shepherd. The picture there is of us being sheep. What if in the places where we stopped to find rest, remember again that there is a God of heaven who puts the world back together again if there we became an altar to the world of a God who is not yet known. So that amongst all of the things scattered around life, we could be a beacon of what actually points to the God of heaven who still walks closely enough with us to transform us with his love and with his grace. As you go to school, work, back home to watch your kids, wherever it is. May you know that the God of heaven, who you are still trying to know, who I am still trying to know, walks with you in such a way that he's piecing together life with a love for you that is stronger than anything you can imagine. Sunrise, we love you. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you next week.